0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. If we are to be in Christian ministry together, we would do well to frequently reflect together on the nature of the ministry we share and in which we are engaged. We need to know what ministry is and what it is not. And this is crucial because there are different philosophies and different attitudes and different approaches to Christian ministry, different uh, perceptions of what it means to be a pastor and to be a part of a church congregation one misconception is particular particularly uh, found and it has to do with this idea that pastors are professionals like other sorts of professionals whether you're an accountant or a teacher or a professor or an engineer whatever a profession may be you typically you know go off to school and get a degree and get your training maybe have an internship and then you come back and you get a job and you go to work or you develop a list of clients and you're a professional and often there's a certification or a license that goes with it. And we, we tend to think of ministry like that, and we've kind of developed a similar process where you go off to seminary, and, and you get your degree, and then maybe you come back, and there's a, a licensing process or an ordination credentialing process, and, and the two pathways look very similar. You've got professions in general, and here's what they look like, and you've got ministry, and the pathway is kind of the same, and so we kind of think, is, well, pastor's a profession just like everything else or all the others. The problem with treating ministry like a profession is that it means everyone who doesn't share the credential doesn't think of themselves as a minister. So if you haven't been to seminary, and if you haven't got that license or that ordination, then you're not one of the ministers. And then we get this sort of separation of duties. And pastor or the staff, they're the professionals, it's their job, and the laity, the congregation, we just kind of, well, do something else, or maybe we watch, or maybe they handle the real stuff, or there's just some, some disconnect there. The laity, many times, become like spectators, and the pastors and the staff are the ones who are in the game. This way of thinking, however, is... Deeply problematic, and we run into massive problems with this kind of professionalization of ministry, especially when we come to texts like Ephesians 4, all over the Bible, but especially when we come to texts like Ephesians 4, where Paul casts a vision of the pastors and the people working together in ministry. Not one doing ministry while the other watches, or not one doing ministry while the other's you know, go about their lives and other things, but ministry is something that's done together. There are different roles. Pastors and leaders and teachers and staff function in one way, and the laity function in another way, and that complementarity is part of God's design for the fruitfulness and effectiveness and beauty of the life of his church, but all are in it together. This helps us begin to understand and embrace what ministry is and what it isn't. If we're going to sum it up in a way that maybe is memorable, maybe we can kind of hang on to this, It's only nine words, maybe we can remember that ministry is a team effort, not a spectator sport. We hold on to that. We like sports. We're in South Alabama, Central Alabama. Sports are kind of a thing for us. Baseball season's coming up. Uh, The boys have tryouts this week, and I'm actually going to be coaching some, so pray for me. But as I've thought about that, it's been helpful for me to think about ministry. And when I look at this text and look at the relationship between pastors and the congregation, that team idea is very much in the weave of this text, and it comes to the surface. So we've got a series of questions that are going to help us kind of unpack the bottom line today. Ministry is a team effort, not a spectator sport. The first question is very simple. What's the purpose of pastors? And so Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 11 about these variety of gifts that are given. We're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to look at the last two in the list, Uh, but they're all there. He says, the gifts that Jesus gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. There's some debate among the scholars whether pastor-teachers should be hyphenated. So it's pastor-teachers, a pastor who teaches, or whether it's pastors on the one hand and teachers on the other. We're not going to get deep into that. We'll just sort of treat it together because teaching is a central role of pastoral ministry. Demonstrated by what we're doing right now. So there are these gifts. Apostles are often considered to be kind of the front lines. These are folks who are going into uncharted territory, launching new ministries, maybe going to unreached people groups, who are carrying the gospel to new contexts. Prophets are often considered by, to be the kind of folks who see problems and injustices and, and issues that need to be dealt with, and they, they speak to exhort and correct and heal in those ways. Evangelists are people who are particularly gifted with sharing the gospel. Now, I want to be clear, just because you, you may or may not have the gift of evangelism, not having it is no excuse for not doing it. So let's just be clear on that. It's a gift, but it's also a command in other places. But these are folks who are particularly equipped for effective sharing of the gospel, and often the time there's, a, there's, there's fruitfulness where people are meeting Jesus through that ministry. And then he mentions pastors and teachers. and it looks like there's kind of a, a similar thing happening there, this pastors and teachers. What's the purpose of the pastor teacher? Paul says the purpose comes in verse 12, and it is to equip the saints, equip the saints, to give the saints, the church, the people of God, tools. Skills, training, plans, strategies, like all of these things. Well, what is all that for? What's the goal? What's what's the end game here? To equip the saints, Paul says, for ministry. Now that's striking if your primary model is the professionalization of ministry. Because if your primary model is that pastors are the professionals, the professional ministers, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Paul to say that it's the pastor's job to equip the church for ministry. Right? You wouldn't go to your doctor and say, hey doc, I, you know, I've got some things, I've got some symptoms, can you help me out? And he, he doesn't say, well, you know, like, here's a website and here's a, here's a medical journal and here's a textbook. Just read these and it'll tell you how to diagnose your problem. And you would say, I'm going to go to another doctor because you're the professional. It's not your job to you know, like. give me a book on how to diagnose this, whatever this issue is. You're just supposed to do that. That's why you went and got those that, the degree and the training. And so we, if we think of ministry as a professional, professionalized career kind of thing, then Paul's language doesn't make a lot of sense because if that's the case, then me and Eric and the rest of the staff, it's... Well, it's just our job, and you do something else. But that's not at all what he says, is it? What is the purpose of pastors? The purpose of a pastor is to equip the saints for ministry. He doesn't say pastors do ministry while everyone else watches. He says the pastor teaches everyone else how to do the ministry. And then I get to watch you do it. (laughs) It's kind of the other way around. So let this settle in to equip the saints. He gave these gifts to equip the church for the work of ministry. That's the purpose. We're going to dig more deeply into how the, that works out in the nitty-gritty, but just for now, understand the purpose. And that purpose comes with a certain result. There's a slight difference. Sometimes we get these confused between purposes and results. Purpose is why you do something. Result is what happens after you've done it. So before you've done something, you think, all right, here's what we're going to do, and here's the purpose. And if we do it well and it's fruitful, we'll have a certain result. So Christ has given gifts to some people to be pastors and teachers, other things too, but we're focusing on the pastor-teacher part today. And the purpose of that is giving the church the tools they need for effective ministry. And the result comes in the next part of the verse, verse 12, until all of us come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. And so you see the difference here. Paul wants to see the church come to something he calls full stature. He wants to see the church come to this unity of faith. Knowledge of the Son of God. He wants grown-up Christians. He doesn't want people who just kind of show up from time to time and are... somewhat interested in what happens in the life of the church. He doesn't want people who are just kind of around and helping out from time to time. He wants people who are deeply committed to Jesus, who Jesus has their full allegiance, who are united in faith, trusting Him, who know Him, who have cultivated a knowledge of the Son. And notice the implication here, right? If the goal, if the result is knowledge of the Son, then that's something that develops. And think about this in any kind of relationship. When two people begin a relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a, a work relationship, right? you know the other person in the relationship better the longer you're in a relationship together. Right? So it's not like you just sort of you know, get converted and you, you know Jesus and that's all you need. For Paul, knowledge of Jesus is a process. Yes, you've met him, but it takes time to get to know his character. It takes time to get to know what he's like. It takes time to come to know his mind. It takes time to come to know his heart. And it takes even more time to have your life conformed to his life. It takes even more time for my habits of thinking to be conformed to his habits of thinking. For my values in my heart to be conformed to his values and his heart, and when Paul talks about this full measure, he's, you know, like right now, maybe we're about a quarter of a measure, or a half a measure, or a three, you know, we're moving towards this full measure of Christ, but it doesn't happen overnight, it doesn't happen the first time we meet Jesus, like the full, knowing Christ in his fullness is a lifelong process, which is why we gather, which is why we have people who are set apart to teach and to spend extra time immersing themselves in the Scriptures and and studying texts and studying how to communicate that so that we can all together be edified and grow up into mature Christians and not be like small children who just don't really know what's going on and get taken in. That's going to come up in a few verses later, but you'll see how this kind of develops. So the, the purpose of ministry... Like What ministry is, ministry is the thing that produces mature disciples. And there are some people who are set apart to cultivate that process and oversee it and lead it, but it's for everyone. Ministry is a team effort, not a spectator sport. You see, we are in this together. According to Paul, the ministry is actually your job. It's my job to 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 put us in a position to do that successfully. So pay attention to the relationship that shows up here. You've got pastors and the saints as a team, with different jobs on the team, working towards a shared goal, a shared purpose brings about a certain result. Ministry is a team effort, not a spectator sport. So then how do we think about the role of the pastor? Three words. Coaches, not contractors. See where I'm going with this? If not, I'll flesh it out a little bit. You need a job done. You don't know how to do it. What do you do? Contract somebody. You need a house? Call a contractor. You need uh, a broken pipe fixed, you, get, you call a contractor or someone who is a professional, who's specialized, a plumber who's going to come out, right? We're around the church. The trustees run a series of contracts to hire people to do things to help us. Maybe we don't know how to do them. Maybe it needs some specialized training. But they come in, they do the job, hopefully, and then they go do whatever the next job is. That's a profession, there's a, an arrangement, there's compensation, all of those things. We know what that means. We don't think of contractors, necessarily, unless they're just part of the life of the church, but we have contractors who come in, and they're here once or twice, and then they go on, and we never see them again. They Do the job, they move on to do the next job, and maybe the next time something breaks, they come back and we get them to help us out. Coaches, on the other hand, do a job with us. Contractors do a job for us. Coaches do a job with us, don't they? There's a team. A coach is an equipper. A coach teaches skills. A coach develops a game plan. A coach makes sure that the people with The right gifts are playing in the right position. I'm thinking about this. Uh, We got baseball tryouts tomorrow night. I've never done this before. I've never been like I've helped out a little bit, but I've never been like the guy who has to draft kids onto a baseball team. I'm scared out of my mind. I have no idea what I'm doing. If you got any tips, catch me after the service and help me out. If you want to help coach, just come on. You can just come do it for me if you want to. That's fine. But I'm thinking through, like, you know, what are we going to do this season? Well, I want to run an efficient practice. I want to focus on fundamentals. I mean, just, I want kids to learn how to catch a baseball, and I want to learn how to throw it so that it winds up where it's supposed to wind up. And, and you know, I, I hope we win some games, but I really, you know, when you're seven or eight years old, we're thinking about skill development. We want them, to learn to be able to see a baseball and put a bat on a baseball. And so there's going to be drills, and there's going to be practices and things that develop motor skills and eye, hand-eye coordination, and we're thinking about the pieces of it, right, because we're on a team together. And I'm going to have to pay attention and say, well, this this kid is pretty quick, and maybe they can play that position because you got to have some agility, and maybe the the that kid's a little bit taller, and over at first base, he can reach a little bit higher when the kid at Second base chunks it over his head, you know, he might be a good one for that role, and so we're kind of looking at people, and we're looking at their skills, and we're looking at their abilities, and we're thinking, here's a good spot for you where you'll serve the larger purposes and mission of the team the best, and, you know, maybe... There's somebody who's in the wrong position, and after the second game, it's very obvious that they're in the wrong position, and they need to be moved to another position where their skills and talents are stronger. Or maybe there's a kid who's batting sixth or seventh or eighth, and they go on a hot streak, and man, this is this kid is developing, and they're getting strong, and they're playing, and they're connecting with the bait. Well, let's move them up to the second or third spot, you know, and, and kind of get them in the right position, and we understand that. And that re- Everyone in the room knows what I'm talking about right now. Churches function in the exact same way. It is the pastor's job to help the laity, the congregation, identify the gifts that God has given them. The skills, the talents, the passions. Create a strategy for ministry. Line gifts up with opportunities and then deploy the team to follow Jesus and change the world. Our strategy is our discipleship path. Remember those three words? Worship, connect, serve. Coaches come up with game plans. Pastors come up with discipleship paths. It's the same thing, though. Ours is probably far less complicated, and we don't have to come up with a new one. Jesus invented it 2,000 years ago, so we got that going for us. But it's the same basic idea. Here's a plan for how we're going to mobilize people for fruitful ministry. It starts with worshiping Jesus. There is no fruitful Christian ministry. There is no Christianity without worshiping Jesus. So we gather on the Lord's Day to worship Him. If that's the only thing we do, we're only going to go so far into the full stature of Christ. And so we are creating networks of small groups where people can connect. Step two, whether that's a Sunday school class, whether it's a band meeting. A number of you have gotten involved in band meetings, not musical bands, but discipleship bands in the last couple of months. Where three, four, five folks get in each other's business for Jesus, pray for one another, love one another, carry one another's burdens, and share one another's joys. That gets us further into the full stature of Christ, doesn't it? But if that's as far as we go, we're not all the way into the full stature of Christ. Because Jesus calls his people to take up their cross and follow him, to deny themselves in love for God and love for neighbor, to be engaged in mission. And so that third step on our path is serve. And that's everything from taking out the trash to jumping on a plane when all that happens again and going to another country and cultivating indigenous local churches there. Maybe it's the folks. Uh, we had a, a great group of folks greeting folks at the front door today. That's service. Hey, I'm going to get there a little early on a rainy Sunday morning to make sure that when folks walk in, there's a, a welcoming presence. There's children in the nursery. Takes a lot of people to run an effective nursery. Can't be done solo. Very much a team effort, very much not a spectator sport. <laughs> we have musicians who arrive far earlier than the rest of us to cultivate our worship. Team effort, not a spectator sport. We have committees make decisions about how money is spent and about how the church is administered and about when we need to buy a new refrigerator or fix the roof or playground maintenance or like all of these things. How do we decide who's a good fit for an open staff position? Team effort, not a spectator sport. The pastor's job is to put the team in a position to be fruitful when we all come together in ministry. We should always be asking ourselves, how effective are we when we engage our process? That's a question that comes up all the time when at staff meetings, at committee meetings, Is there a process? Is the process working? Does the process need to be adjusted so that it works more effectively? And the thing that we are trying to do when we pay attention to how the leadership of the church is developed and how people who aren't leaders are developed into leaders and how particularly paid staff function as leaders is are we leading other Teams of ministry into more effective and more fruitful ministry. And if not, what do we need to tweak so that it becomes more fruitful? So we put our resources not into hiring a pro to come to a job so we can do something else. We put our resources, when we're talking about paid staff positions, into finding people who can effectively equip us who are the people who are gifted by God to equip the saints for ministry? And we will not fill a spot until we find those people. Because they're not slots to be filled. They are coaches, leaders, people who must be gifted by Christ for all of our good so that we can come to the full stature of Jesus. That, friends, is why we constantly talk about a high level of excellence. You're going to ask the staff after the service, how often do you hear Matt say high level of excellence? They're giggling at one another now because it comes up a couple times a week, at least, if not daily. That's what we talk about all the time because we want to honor Jesus. How do we function at a high level of excellence? And that sort of reminds us that we can always get better. We're never satisfied. We're never just kind of, all right, we're good. We're functioning at a high level of excellence, and we don't have to work anymore. Like, we can just kind of roll with it. Excellence doesn't work that way, does it? (laughs) Those of you, we've talked about this coaching metaphor a lot. Those of you who've been on athletic teams, you know a good coach is one who is never satisfied. You can be elite. And the most elite athletes are always working to be better. The church should never settle for anything less. So we spend time reading books and learning from people who know more about things than we do. Sometimes it's ministry strategies. Sometimes it's theology. Sometimes it's cultural issues. Sometimes it's about worship. Sometimes it's about preaching. We meet. We pray together. Always focused and always aimed at getting better at equipping the saints for the ministry. With the result by the grace of God in Christ and the power of the Spirit that we all come to the full measure of Christ to maturity. Ministry friends is a team effort, not a spectator sport. So we've talked a lot about the role of the pastor. Our next question is who's the team? who's the players, you should know the answer, but it's you. You are the team, you are the players. And it's crucial for the laity, for you all, to think of yourselves in this way. Like if those kids on that baseball team come along and say, all right, it's coach's job to, to make us win. It's coach's job to catch the ball. It's coach's job to get the hits. Like, the team would not function very well if everybody just thought it was the coach's job, would they? The players have to know their position. A shortstop, a first baseman, an outfield, you have to know what your role is. And the laity, the saints, the church, the people, we need, need to be thinking of yourselves. and at, you, need, we, you need to be constantly asking the question: like, what's my role in this team? Like, how am I contributing? How am I serving? How am I helping all of us to be deeply engaged in ministry so that we are becoming coming to the full measure of Christ, the full knowledge of Christ, deeper faith in Christ? And every single person needs to be able to answer that question. If you struggle to answer that question, I would love to chat with you about it sometime. Like Call me up, swing by, and let's talk about how you can figure out your contribution to the team. Different people have different roles. Different folks handle different responsibilities, and there are a variety of responsibilities that need to be handled. Sometimes we see gifts. We go, hey, so-and-so would be really good at that. Give them a call. Sometimes we make that call, and they go, I'd rather not. And we say, that's fine. No, no sweat. No big deal. Like if we call you up and ask you to be on a certain team, and you say, yeah, I'm not sure that's my gift. I'm like, maybe it is, but maybe it's not, and we can discern that, and we'll find another spot. that's okay. A good coach doesn't take a first baseman and turn him into a left fielder. A good coach finds a kid who has potential to be a first base and turns him into a really good first baseman. A good coach finds a kid who's really good at left field and turns him into a really good left fielder. So he's dependable make the long throw, make it accurate, good jump, good sense of where the ball is going. A good pastor pays attention to those kinds of things, doesn't necessarily require the hardcore introverts to be the first people at the front door, right? There's another job for you if you just don't like like, shaking hands with people or something like that. We don't do a lot of handshaking these days anyway, but you get the idea. What's my role? What's my contribution? You know, this afternoon when you get home, you're with your family, you're having lunch, you're maybe take a few minutes and... Spend some time in prayer and just say, you know, Lord, what what is the specific thing that you have called me to do to help this body be fruitful? to Help this body function at a higher level of excellence. What, what is it you want me to do? You want me to call three or four people together and like be the point person on a band meeting, a discipleship band? Okay. Teach a Sunday school class, a little bit daunting, but if that's where your spirit is leading me, that, that's the gifts I have. That's what I want to do. Team effort, not professionals and spectators. This is how churches work, and this is how they work effectively. Let's be clear on the goal. Take a look at verse 14. And let the tone settle with you. We must not... We must no longer be children. Apostle Paul, writing to Christians, saying this, we must no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. And Paul recognizes that there are a lot of voices out there. And we know what that feels like. We are constantly hammered, perhaps as much more than any period in history, with television, radio, social media, constant bombardment, with messages and news, and it's very difficult at times to discern what's actually happening and maybe sometimes we feel tossed around to and fro battered around with all of the just the chaos the cacophony of voices that are out there you know what the solution to that is christian maturity christian wis- there is a wisdom that is that you only cultivate By immersing yourself in Christian discipleship. Worshipping the Lord, connecting with other believers, and serving alongside as part of the life of the church. No longer children. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. Instead, Paul says, verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we've got to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. So you see what's going on there. Paul's using this metaphor of a body. We're familiar with this. He uses it in other places. you got a body, it's got parts eyes, hands, uh, legs, feet, ears. And when all the parts are functioning properly, the body is healthy and it's able to do what it needs to do effectively, efficiently, with excellence. But part of that, part of that body breaks or gets injured or kind of becomes handicapped, then that body is no longer able to really function. And Paul says the church is like that. Right? You have the shared ministry, one body with lots of parts, different roles. Some folks are deployed over here, other folks are deployed over there, some folks are deployed out there. All working together, cultivating one ministry. One team of which we're all a part. It's the pastor's job to write the game plan, to cultivate gifts, skills, proficiency, and line up people with ministry opportunities and positions. It's the laity's job to ask the question what's my role and how can I serve Christ? more faithfully in that capacity for the good of his body and for the life of the world. Ministry is a team effort. Never, never, never a spectator sport. We need to think about the church the way we think about our homes and our families. Paul says, no longer children but grown-ups. Every parent and every child has a sense of what he's talking about. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you wanted to see your children become mature people. You wanted to see them become effective people. Wise people. You don't want them to stay, I mean, you love those babies, but you don't want them to stay immature and unable full human beings. If you're a child, everyone was a child, you can look back and say, you know, my parents did that well, or maybe they could have done this better, and I'm in danger of repeating that, and maybe I don't want to. But we kind of know what the process looks like because we've all been in a setting for better or worse. That image, that metaphor, that analogy functions for all of us. Paul says later in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word discipline we often think of in terms of negative discipline. You're Grounded, you're going to get a spank in, or whatever it may be. It's not really what's going on in the ancient world. We don't do a whole lot of Greek work in here, but I'll give you this word. The word for discipline is paideia, and it might even be better translated inculturate. Give your children enculturation in Jesus. We know what it means to be enculturated, right? You get enculturated as an American, you get enculturated as a Hope Hullian. is that a term? It is now, we're going with it. Like, you know what it means to be a part of this culture, don't you? You know what it means, you know somebody who's not, right? Like a new preacher, or something like that, you know? He's got to kind of learn some things and figure out how we relate to each other, We know what it means to be a part of a culture, and we know what it means when our culture kind of takes a turn that we're not comfortable with, because we've been inculturated, and something's changed. What would happen if we take that and import it into the church? What does it mean to develop a culture in the church, so that we share certain values and we share certain perceptions, all shaped by Jesus and His self-giving, perfect love, demonstrated for us in his cross, in his death, where he gave his life for us to redeem us and make us whole with his resurrection. Like, Christianity isn't just something we do once a week or a couple of times a month. It is a culture-building enterprise. It's about building a culture that honors Jesus in every way. And Paul tells fathers, give your kids the paideia of the Lord, He's saying, enculturate them into the life of Christ. So that when they're, you know, tying their shoes and they can't quite get it right and they get angry and haul off and grab a toy and chunk it across the room, like that's not Christ-likeness, is it? There's this thing in their heart and and it needs to be healed and there's some sin bubbling up and it's coming, this frustration has provoked it, right? Enculturation means learning how to tie your shoes without losing your temper. I had like a three-year-old, Take that and apply it to every area of life. Fathers, this is what you give your children. And this child maturing analogy means we can maybe transport that into the life of the church. It's our job to cultivate a Christian culture. A culture that embodies the life and character of Jesus. We need to articulate that we need to understand its purpose we need to understand the goals and we need to cultivate it as a shared enterprise this is who we are this is what it means to follow jesus there's no professionals no contractors no hired hands you know nobody who you got the credential that's your job no spectators in the church ministry is a shared reality my invitation today in the next few days is to really require yourself to articulate your answer to the question, what's my role on this team called the saints? The church. The people of God in Christ. What's my role? What is Jesus calling me and gifting me to how can I contribute to the people of God becoming the full measure of Christ? It's a team effort, not a spectator's part. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.